Well, good morning again, Chillicothe Bible Church. As we, uh, as we open up God's Word today, let me ask you a question. Does prayer do any good? Does prayer do any good? You know, it's, it's one thing, and it seems maybe strange to ask you that question on what's going to be another beautiful day today. Uh, you know, yesterday it was 70 degrees and sunny in late October. All the leaves are down, and it's a beautiful fall day, and it's 70 degrees, and I was outside drinking coffee in my short sleeve shirt, and it was glorious, right? And, and you're like, does prayer do any good? Absolutely. I was outside yesterday drinking coffee in 70 degrees. It was fantastic. But there are other times, I think, that we ask that question where we're not so sure about the answer. Maybe you um, are laying in your bed late at night and you're awake at a time when you'd rather be asleep and you're praying one more time about that ache that you feel in your gut one more time that you can do nothing about. And you're talking to the Lord for what feels like the thousandth time about the same thing. Maybe it's the fact that although you'd very much like to be married, that the right person has never come into your life. Maybe it's that you, uh, you have a child that despite your best efforts to share the gospel with him or with her, walked away from not only the Lord, but, but you as well some years ago. And they've never come back to you or to Jesus. And you pray and you pray and you pray. And you don't know if the positive answer is ever going to come. Or maybe you look around our country as it's election season again, and you're thinking, you know, as I read Romans 1, it looks like we don't need to worry about whether God is going to judge us, but whether it has already begun. Because, boy, things are tough out there. And our nation has not walked it hard and fast after Jesus, but has run as hard and fast away from Him as they can. And we're looking at the wreckage all around us. And it's just galling to your soul. You pray. But in those times when you're tempted to despair and you wonder if you should just quit praying entirely for these things, Jesus gives us a story. And if you got your Bible, I'd like you to turn with me over to Luke chapter 18. And uh, beginning in verse 1, Jesus tells us this story, which is powerful and speaks to us in exactly those moments when we are tempted to wonder whether our prayers do any good at all. So if you've got your Bible there, if you are able and, and willing, if you'd stand in honor of God's Word as I read, what the Lord has to say to us. And this is what the Word of God says. And He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. 
He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, when the Lord does return, we want Him to find us continuing to trust, continuing to pray, continuing to seek Your face, continuing in faith, believing what You have told us is true. And Father, we are often discouraged, often prone to despair, over circumstances that are hard and do not change, despite our many prayers. So, Father, help us to hear what the Lord is saying to us today, that we should pray and not give up. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please be seated. Um, whenever you study God's Word, you should be looking for what the Spirit of God is teaching you through it. Amen? And sometimes that takes a lot of study. And sometimes, because uh, if you're like me, you're a little slow on the uptake uh, with reference to the Scripture, it's, the Lord is just gracious and tells you, this is what you're supposed to get. <laughs> All right? And so there it is in verse 1. He told them a parable to the effect they ought always to pray and not lose heart. So what's this passage about? Pray and do not lose heart. All right, everybody ready? Let's go home. Um, <laughs> that's it, right? Uh, do that. That's the point of the story that we are all supposed to understand and learn and apply to our lives. And we could probably stop right there, just bring Tony and the band back up, sing and go home, because that is what the point of the story is. Uh, but I'm not going to do that quite yet because Jesus also tells us this story to illustrate for us exactly how to go about doing it. He doesn't just tell us what to do, but how to do it. Uh, to not, so that we not, not only know that we shouldn't lose heart, but how to go about not losing heart. And that, what we else also need to understand, because... The reality is, while we should always be praying and never losing heart, that is the opposite of what we are prone to do, which is to seldom pray and often lose heart, right? And so, and, and the reason that we often are prone to do that is because we think in our heart of hearts that our prayers are powerless. And we pray, but sometimes we don't really pray really believing that our prayers are accomplishing anything. And so then we're like, well, I prayed about this for six months and nothing has changed, so I'm just going to quit. Right? Jesus is telling us, keep praying. 
keep praying. And so he gives us a story that exactly parallels the situation that we think that we're in, that we're alone and powerless to do anything to change our circumstances. And in the ancient world, nobody was more powerless than a widow especially a widow who is all alone with no family to care for her. Oftentimes, such women did not inherit much, if anything, of their husband's property or possessions, and they had very little in the way of skills that would enable them to earn an honest living. And so, with no resources, no family connections, no skills, a widowed woman was often very easily abused by people who were richer and more powerful. And to make matters worse, the legal system in Jesus' day was often effectively for sale. That you could buy yourself a judge. You could buy yourself a verdict uh, for whatever you wanted. Uh, and you could get... And you could get the outcome you wanted if enough money changed hands. As somebody who travels frequently in the developing world, I can tell you that in a lot of the world, that's still the case. If you get pulled over by the police, and it doesn't matter what it is for, often they, you don't even have to have violated the law to get pulled over. But if you get over or stopped by the police, um, there's a very simple solution to every one of those problems. It is called M-O-N-E-Y. All right? And what you say is, Oh, officer, I am so sorry. I have uh, run afoul of the law. How much is the fine? And they say, well, a lot of times they'll say things like this. Well, how much do you have? Well, I've got... 500 rupees here. Well, it just so happens that that's what the fine is. Right? And you can get your way out of about any problem with the, with the legal system anywhere if you just have enough money. Right? And in Jesus' day, things were much that same way. That if you wanted to buy a verdict in your favor, you just had to have enough money to do it. Now imagine you're this widow. No resources no family connections, uh, cut off from, from everybody and everything that could help you. And this woman has a just cause and no power to bring it about. And the judge that she needs is an unjust man. You see what the text says? Jesus says, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. In other words, he's not worried about one day standing before God and being judged for his unrighteousness. And he doesn't care what any other human thinks either. He's like, I'm going to do what I want to do and whatever is most profitable to me, that's going to be the outcome that goes. And I'm the judge. And he is blocking her way. He says, the law is whatever I say it is. And on top of that, ruling on favor of this widow will bring me no benefit. And my standing in the community will not improve and my wallet will not get any fatter. And I don't worry about one day giving account to anybody. And so I'm just going to do what makes me happy and what benefits me. And since she doesn't benefit me in any way, 
not doing anything for her. Now, if you were laying odds on the outcome of this situation, where would you put your money? On the judge or on the widow? He's the guy, after all, with all the power, all the connections, uh, all the resources, you know, and being the sort of cynical person that I am, been around the block a few times and seen how the world often works, I would not bend the rent money on the widow. Would you? I mean, she has a righteous cause, but she's up against a wicked judge who is not inclined to rule in her favor. So if I were giving her advice, I would say, uh, ma'am, I'm really sorry. The world is wicked. It's run by wicked people. You, but you just need to cut your losses. Reach out again to your extended family. Maybe somebody can help you there. But that would be the wrong advice. Because... As Jesus points out, this woman only seems to be powerless. She has one power that the judge has not reckoned with, and that is that she is persistent. And by persistent, I don't mean that she asks more than once for justice. I mean, this woman becomes this unrighteous judge's shadow she follows him around. And she wears him down the way water will wear down concrete through constant dripping. Right? And this widow comes to judge all that's judge all the time and says, Give me justice. He goes to the gym to work out. Up she pops. Give me justice. He's at Kroger shopping for bratwurst. Up she pops. Give me justice. He's in the parking lot at Walmart. Give me justice. Every place he goes, she is there asking and asking and asking and asking and asking this unrighteous judge, give me justice. And so the unrighteous judge eventually, after enough of this, says, man, it's getting where I can't even go out the door anymore. This is ridiculous. And I, even though I don't fear God and even though I don't respect people, because this woman keeps bothering me, and I will give her justice so she will not beat me down by her continual coming. She wore him out. Wore him down to a nub. And even an unrighteous judge gets tired of denying justice to someone who will not cease bothering him while he's seeking it. Was she powerless in reality? No. Are your prayers powerless when you come before the Lord? No. Keep praying. Why? Because they move your loving and righteous, almighty, heavenly Father to help you. Look at the verses 6 through 8 there. In the last three verses of this story, this is where Jesus drives home the point. In verse 6, hear what the unrighteous judge says. Why does Jesus say that? He's saying, hey, y'all pay attention to what the judge said. 
Don't miss this. And then he tells us why not to miss it in verse 7. Will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? This is uh, in the scripture, a lot of times Jesus makes an argument from the lesser to the greater, right? He says, for example, in another passage, he talks about when uh, he says, you know, which of you being evil will fail to give uh, as a father uh, good gifts to his son? You know, if, you at, if his son asks for a, for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If he asks for bread, we'll give him a rock, right? And if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to his children, right? In other words, because of who God is, shouldn't we expect better than the unrighteous judge is willing to give to this widow who asked him persistently. What kind of God is God? He's your loving and righteous and merciful and all-powerful heavenly Father. Is He an unjust judge? No. Emphatically not. And so how much more should we expect that His heart will be moved toward us who ask Him persistently? If even an unrighteous judge will help some powerless widow who he has no relationship with and who doesn't benefit him because she persistently asks, how much more the Heavenly Father who loves you, who has all power to bring about justice for you and me, help us? How much more will He help us? The widow was able to get justice even from a wicked judge through persistent asking. And so Jesus is asking us the obvious question. Is that how we are coming? No. We aren't random people off the street. We are the chosen sons of the King. And so we should expect that God our Father is going to respond to those of us who are His children who cry continually day and night to Him. Should we expect long delays from God? No. Our loving, righteous, almighty God loves us. And as our Father, we can expect a quick response. Because even a decent earthly father would eventually do the right thing for his children. And, and if even a wicked judge will do the right thing eventually in response to persistent requests, how much more will the good God who loves us respond to us? That's what Jesus is saying here at the beginning of verse 8 when he says, I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Now, I'll admit that this raises some questions in my mind and probably in yours too about what God's definition of speedy is. Right? Because my definition of speedy is like faster than Amazon. Okay? Um, you know, I get frustrated when Amazon promises me two days and it takes them three or four. Right? Um, and so I, I think 
Speedy is the same thing as instantaneous. Okay? An eternal God's definition of speedy and my definition are probably not the same. But here's what I would tell you, that speedy also depends on what you're building. On what you're building. You know, if you've got the right tools, you can pop up a pretty serviceable outhouse in a weekend. You really can. You know, a, 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 a good circular saw uh, and uh, a nail gun with, a, with an air compressor, and you can slam that thing together, right? I mean, I don't know how, if you need two holes or one, but you can, you can get it together in whichever case over the course of a weekend. On the other hand, if you're building a cathedral by hand, it takes a lot longer. So here's the question. What do you want God to build in your life? How speedy are you wanting Him to go? Because while He is making us wait, He is building in us something and causing us to trust Him and given how much He loves you, and given how great and righteous and powerful He is, He's entitled to our trust in the meantime. With however long He defines what speedy is, and with the assumption that He will not leave us to suffer one second longer than is necessary for the accomplishment of His purpose. And the instant that purpose is accomplished, our deliverance will come. Now, knowing all that, we should look closely at the last sentence here in verse 8. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? That is a deep question that requires a bit of explanation. First, who is the Son of Man? Well, that's Jesus himself. Uh, that's, the, that's Jesus' favorite title for himself, as a matter of fact. And um, it occurs in two places in your Old Testament. Uh, God Himself, when He speaks to the prophet Ezekiel, addresses Him throughout the book as Son of Man. Son of Man, prophesy, Son of Man, can these bones live, etc. Uh, he says to Ezekiel, and He is addressing Him as a human being. But there's also one other instance, and this is really significant. It's in Daniel chapter 7. And it's in Daniel chapter 7, the prophet is seeing the future unfold before him and all the kingdoms of the world come. And then at the end, there is this last kingdom. It says, the Ancient of Days took his seat. And one like the Son of Man came and was handed an eternal kingdom. And you see this figure, the Son of Man, who is this divine figure who, en who enjoys and exercises all the power of God, who rules and reigns over all the nations of the world. Who are we talking about? Jesus. Jesus says, yeah, you remember that guy? In Daniel chapter 7? That's me. And He says it over and over and over and over and over again so that nobody can miss it. When the Son of Man comes, Son of Man, the Son of Man, the Son of Man. And so if you ever read anybody who says, well, you know, Jesus never claimed to be the Messiah. I go, really? Look at Daniel chapter 7, read that. Okay, read that. Now, 
Start reading the Gospels. Tell me the next time you see Jesus refer to Himself as the Son of Man. <laughs> okay? He does it over and over and over again. Because He's trying to make it clear to people who He is. Trying not to leave anybody in the dark. And Jesus is telling us He is the Son of God, the Messiah, about whom Daniel prophesied, who is a man like us, but also God. And in referring to His coming, Jesus is telling the disciples in advance that there's going to be a time when He is not present on the earth in a visible way, the way He is with them right then, but is coming back to establish this eternal kingdom that, that Daniel mentioned. How did He know all of these things? Well, because He is the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Messiah whom the prophets all predicted. So with all that in mind, look at Jesus' question again. When He comes back, will He find faith on earth? How would you answer that question? What one level, the answer to the question is, well, yes, obviously. Because there will be Christians on earth when Jesus returns. There will be a generation that will see Him come back. So when He returns, He will obviously find His people who believe in Him then, just as in previous generations. But the question is not directed in general theological terms. It is personal. It's more like this. Will you be a person of faith when Jesus comes back? Not, will you be a believer in Jesus, although that might be part of this question, surely. But I think the bigger question Jesus is asking is toward those of us who are already Christians who are already people who have been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. He's asking you and me this question. Will you actually be crazy enough, bold enough, a person of faith enough, such that you believe my word, such that you do what I'm telling you here, and pray persistently, just as persistently as this widow seeking justice from an unjust judge. Will you, in faith, believe that I am coming speedily to give you justice and to act on that belief to pray persistently for deliverance? What if there are real trials and real persecution that you encounter? Will you pray? Persistently? What if you're fired from your job someday for being a Christian? Will you pray? What if you're imprisoned? What if you're martyred for your faith in Jesus? Will you believe and pray then? Let me ask you this. If you will pray for them, and I got to believe if you get arrested for preaching Jesus, your prayer life, whatever gaps you have, will get shored up real quick. <laughs> okay. There's nothing like being threatened to really shorten up the length of time between your prayers. But if you would pray then, 
Will you pray now? Pray, 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 pray. Pray without ceasing, Scripture says. I like what uh, Charles Spurgeon said on this. He's a great 19th century pastor from England. He said, we should pray when we are in a praying mood. For it would be sinful to neglect so fair an opportunity. We should pray when we are not in a praying mood, for it would be dangerous to remain in so unhealthy a condition. So if you feel like praying, great. Definitely pray then. If you don't feel like praying, pray especially then. Because it's dangerous to your soul to remain in a condition where you don't feel like talking to Jesus. Pray believing that God is good and that He is just and that He is for you as your Father and that your prayers are not powerless but deeply practical. Because prayer moves the heart of the God who loves you and the hand of whom in whom the whole world sits. Remember that song when we were kids? He's got the whole world in his hands, right? And if God is that big and that powerful and loves you, why would you not address him with all of the needs that you have in your life? got the whole world in his hands. He's got you and me, brother, in his hands. He does. He loves us. How many of you all have heard this kind of a story? You know, some tragedy will happen and people will say, well, I'm going to pray for that, that family or those people and whatever. And somebody will say something stupid like this. Well, that's ridiculous. Why don't you do something? As if somehow prayer is not doing something. That is completely antithetical to what Jesus says. That prayer is the most powerful thing in the world. Because through it, we access our good and almighty Heavenly Father who loves us. And if we believe that, that prayer moves the heart and hand of Almighty God who loves us, then we should pray and not give up. Pray and do not give up. Persistently pray your powerless prayers because they are not powerless. They move your loving, righteous, almighty, heavenly Father to help you. So pray and do not lose heart. Amen? Let's pray. God, our heavenly Father, we are often tempted, often tempted to lose heart especially if, it, if it's something that we have prayed for repeatedly for years, Father. We think, oh, this has got to be the thousandth time I have asked the Lord for this, and it has not happened. 
And the scripture says that you're speedy, but I, I haven't seen speedy in my life. What, what are you doing? Why are you making me wait? Father, help us to trust you. We need help to trust you. It's not our natural inclination. As sinners, we are inclined to believe deeply in ourselves and shallowly in you. Father, help us to reverse that. To flip that around so we trust ourselves very little, but we trust in you with great depth. Father, help us to pray and to pray and to pray and to pray and to seek your face continually. As often as we breathe, we are talking to you. And Father, help us also to hear from your Holy Spirit your words to us today and to put them into practice, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.